down to get a lot of dough. Anything is possible. Turn me up in the headphone. Yeah. Grind to get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. Yeah. Yo, yo, what's up, family? Welcome back. It's episode five of TMHS, The Marcus Hendricks Show. I'm your boy, your main man, the host, Marcus E. Hendricks. That E is actually very fun to do. E. Hendricks. The E stands for exceptional, excited. Uh, what do you want? Experiencing. I don't know. You can pull a bunch of E's. I got a lot of E's. Uh, yeah, man. So actually, I want to start on a very serious note today. Very serious note here. Nah, man. Shout out J. Cole, man. I don't know if y'all saw the the post that just came from Dreamville and probably from his personal account as well. But I saw it from the Dreamville account. J. Cole. So he went in and I guess and I don't I didn't look at the you know timestamp. I think he's like 2013 low key, but I could be way mistaken with that. But there's an art a producer named Batman, I believe. Batman something. It's spelled like B V T. You know how how we do. We throw like blasts and everything. Six lakh, black, all the different stuff. Todd Dollar. You add a little symbol in there, make it mean a little something different. But it means what it means, right? So his name's Batman. He's from Brooklyn. And I guess J. Cole had typed into YouTube, because you know they the producers will do the J. Cole type beat, Drake type beat. I remember back in uh, middle school, me and the guys, we used to, our, everybody's favorite beat to freestyle to was the pound cake, uh, Paris. It was really only the pound cake half of it, but the pound cake instrumental, because that beat is crazy to freestyle to. But you know how you used to go in and you used to type in like your favorite artist type beat. And really none of it, like some of it would be that kind of artist type beat, and then sometimes it just wouldn't. Uh, you kind of had to take a chance with it and that's interesting to even see that he said he picked the first beat that came up on youtube and went ahead and recorded a song he was like normally this is something that would stay in the vault but he felt he was like, i don't want to hold on to that stuff anymore and he called it procrastination uh, in parentheses broke which is very interesting i'd actually just this morning the first song that was on my mind and then when i was journaling I wrote crunch time now I, was, I didn't necessarily write it because of the song i had been thinking about some of the lyrics but as I was writing, I ended it with crunch time. That was very interesting. And now to see that, you know, have been a follow up within the day. Interesting to look at that in general. But shout out J. Cole, man. Uh, given, you know, a community that doesn't often get, I wouldn't even say overlooked, but often gets unrecognized. Overlooked kind of seems more intentional. I think unrecognized is just kind of, you know, you're talking about the individual that's often behind the scenes grinding shit out. So many of how producers work these days is they're not necessarily in the studio with the artist making the beat that, you know, you have engineers or you have your dedicated producer. But when it comes to something like that, you have, you know, you'll find a beat or you'll find a vibe that you like and you have them send it in and you record the song over that and that nigga may not be getting no money from it. That's very interesting. Yeah, just to see the kind of put on behind that. The guys from Brooklyn, I believe, or at least based in Brooklyn now. Shout out BK, man. Shout out to BK. So yeah, I just I've shout out J. Cole. That's a very interesting thing to go up to do. 
um, something that doesn't happen often and kind of giving recognition to a community that often just, again, does not get the recognition that they definitely deserve. I'm an individual, you know, one of my favorite playlists that I have is called Music Behind the Music. And the point of that is to recognize not only my favorite producers, but just some amazing production, some amazing, amazing beat making that goes on. You look at how much music we like. like I'm a big 808s guy. I love 808s. I love a good, solid, low thump. That's some, ooh, boy, that gets me, gets me hype. Or like a nice little snare. I'm not big on like hi-hats, but a nice snare, a nice drum, a bass kick. Doom, doom, doom. That gets me going, right? So I like Just Blaze. I love Just Blaze, Swiss Beats. Like those are some of my favorite producers. I love Timberland because of the, you know, or Pharrell, like the four counts, the high hatch, but that they, as, they, as far, ooh, excuse me. See, I'm getting excited. I love, I love production talk. Like that really, I said like, and that's really, it's damn. This wasn't on purpose, man, but that's a direct segue into where we're going today. Fuck it, man. Let's ride. Let's ride, dog. Because today we're talking about creativity and education and the college conundrum. And where can we tie that directly into what I'm talking about? Okay, so remember last, the other episode when I was saying the uh, the teacher, I'm not sure what grade, probably around middle school, and he was showing the little boy, and they, they're doing production in class. Like they're fully making beats. And then the most recent video I saw from him actually may have been a beat that he was making for Cole. He was saying, you know, one thing specifically, make beats for your favorite artist or specifically for an artist, and you kind of get a different sound. You're not going at it just willy-nilly. The first time I saw the video with the kid making the beat and him showing him, and and how instructional it was, how detailed and in tune it was, I was like, damn. Now this right here, this would have been a class that I would have paid attention in every second of every, like I wouldn't have wanted to leave that classroom as a kid. And I'm, I'm not the only one, I'm sure I know. Like do you, you know how many kids used to get in trouble for making beats on the table with their pen? That's all we used to do at lunch. Like niggas used to sit there, freestyle rap battles, and you just sitting there, Yeah, I just did a little mouth beat. But that's that's how the Marcus Hendrick show goes, man. Sometimes I may just make beats with my mouth in the middle of in the middle of the episode. Five minutes in, I started making beats with my mouth. And you cannot stop me. Anyway, what would have been extremely interesting was something like that back in the day. But it's not just something like that. Like our you think about we we would have art class. Like art class, I'm pretty sure was the shortest class we had, but it was the one I loved the most. And I actually I remember the last art class I really took, and when I stopped liking art, and it was because and I'm saying names, Mr. Drake. I don't remember your first name, but Mr. Drake, you big sloppy mug. I still don't like you because you. Ooh, you really made me dislike art and it wasn't the class. I loved the class. You sucked. You sucked as an individual because you took the fun out of something that was supposed to be fun. We were in seventh damn grade and you took the fun out of something that was supposed to be fun. And that's what happens in school in general and where we're going today. Because there's a revamping of education that is coming and it's directly in front of us. And, and it's coming specifically, I think it's pandemic rooted. It's coming from, you know, how many students... You look at a time thing, and this goes into, I, I tied it in in my notes to the shift in the, you know, the world of work today. Well, the world of education has to shift right along with it, right? Because both systems are based off of what I talked about the other episode on Tuesday, on episode four, this industrial revolution model that says we're just going to push out the same thing over and over again. Not even because it works. It just is what is. It's the system we have in place and the niggas that are in charge of changing it are too fucking lazy 
and don't actually know what they're doing. They, they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing in relevance to today's society and culture. Like you're trying to make rules for individuals that you have no fucking clue about. You're making rules and putting systems in place to guide individuals that you are not even talking to and saying, hey, what works best for you guys? Like what, what actually works? What actually is conducive to the way you learn, the way you grow, the way you expand? It's let's keep pushing out again. What already was not really working. It just is what was in place. And it's, it's a ridiculous system. Actually, like when you step back and look at how our education model works, it's it's in, it's insanity, actually. And it's it's wild because of the definition of insanity. It is even more of insanity. Like it actually is, by definition, an insane concept. Right. You keep doing the same thing, hoping that it's going to work. And then you're shocked why none of it fucking works. Like standardized testing. Okay. I know people, and this is, this is one of those, like, if you know, you know, I guess, but like the people that are listening to this, some of y'all will know who I'm talking about. And I love these individuals. So it's no slight, but it is a re it's a reality of it. I know a couple of people that like coming out of high school, they could not pass star tests. And there was a point where we were like, okay, are these niggas not about to graduate and finish the past 12 years of schooling, like not get a chance to go on to higher education because of a standardized fucking star test. Like we're really saying the star test is what's going to keep them back. I know people that like various star tests or multiple star tests. It took them six, seven, eight tries to get through it. And I'm not so sure that they ended up getting through it. Now I, these are not stupid individuals, nowhere near like lack of intellect. These are smart, smart people, but testing, you know how when people used to say, I don't test well, but like that's real, like not testing well is a very real thing, especially outside of even just neurological conditions, outside of ADHD or ADD, outside of OC, anything like that. Like if you're on some sort of spectrum outside or not some sort of spectrum outside of the you know, neurological spectrum, it's not even just that. But that is such a big part of it. Like we live in this society. I was thinking about it yesterday or this morning. You know, we keep talking about the attention span of, of especially as the generation gap or the generation shift and grow up that the attention span is is shortening and people are more into short form content. Again, we talk about these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies that are not self-fulfilling as much as they are being fulfilled. And then you turn around and say, OK, well, here's my proof. Like, here's the proof of concept. Well, yeah, but you same way, like in the movie industry, Like, I don't know if y'all know this, but. When it comes to film and TV, like how Hollywood does things, they put things in front of you, a.k.a. I am legend, bird box type things. And then or I robot like Will Smith is at the bottom of all of this. Like Will Smith, I he was it's funny, actually. Will Smith growing up was always my favorite actor. Right now at 22, I can't stand watching anything from Will Smith except for Fresh Prince. And that's because it was in the beginning before he became a pawn. I'm starting to think Will Smith is kind of maybe not even on purpose, but like almost you went up and slapped the nigga at the Oscars. That feels very pawnish to me, man. Like that, this feels very pawn. And if you know about my Kevin Hart theory, it all kind of adds up along the very same levels. Like it's all within. And this is that this is my mind rolling as it's going. I hadn't even thought about this until just now. Those two individuals being very much in the same space. Hmm. As far as that kind of pawnish thing goes, where it's like you are very much kind of introducing concepts or reintroducing concepts that every time the black community says, OK, I think we're over that. 
here comes another fucking emancipation. That, that, that's ridiculous and wild to me. And I hadn't even looked at, like, Pursuit of Happiness being so many of our favorite movie. But the Pursuit of Happiness being, J. Cole has a line that says, uh, like, Will and his son in, the, in that movie, not the one, basically, like, or no, Kanye says it. And he's talking about his dad, and he said he used to have get-rich-quick schemes. Not, but he's talking about the pursuit of happiness, and he's saying it's interesting to look at a movie like that. And this is a tangent that's not a tangent, but it is a tangent. Interesting to look at something like that and realize what you did was make it very comfortable to say the American dream, this is what the, the American dream is struggle. Right? Like our American dream as a black man is struggle. But, but you look at something like The Wolf of Wall Street, completely different process of, of the American dream. And I've talked about it before that the virtues that have been instilled since the days of even just Christianity, but the days like in the past, in the hundreds of years, I'm not going to use the, the word, but you know what I'm talking about. In the past few hundreds of years, the virtues that have been forced upon us, not even just instilled, but it's these values that black people have. We're, we're supposed to be righteous. We don't steal, kill or lie. And yeah, no, we shouldn't. But the very same people that say that, you know, put that onto us were the ones that all they did was still kill and lie. And that's how they got ahead. That's how they made the. And then we're able to pull back and be even more of the righteous individual and say, hey, we don't still kill or lie. They're the ones making the rules. Right. And that's that's not even just a black thing. That's an everybody thing. That's a we're all slaves now. Just the chains are concealed. Shout out J. Cole. That's a very interesting thing to look at. And then this wasn't necessarily where the conversation was going, but it, it, it all ties in because it's roped into that. You look at how much that they keep pushing out obedient, follow the rules, go by the playbook workers. And then if you if you skew from that, you either there's two sides of it. You can skew from that and you're a unicorn. If you're a STEM kid that went to a prep school and you go, you know, you go start a you go start a tech company. But if you're very much the exact same concept and individual, you're Kanye West on the other side. You don't get the help needed. You get put into this box and then you actually go fucking crazy. And then they're able to turn around and say, well, look at him. Look, what, look, 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 look what he's doing. Like, none of this is any different than Kanye had always been. He was always <laughs> nutty in that sense. Like, we celebrate very much the same people that have done much, much worse. Like, Christopher Columbus, 10,000 times worse than Kanye West. Anything Kanye West has ever done. But there is a fucking day named after the guy. Right? Like, he killed a bunch of people, and there is a day named after him. There's, we have monuments and days named after people who own people who look like me. Crazy concept to me, but not digressing at all, but going back to where we were because damn, this is what I love about getting to sit here and do this and getting to sit here for an hour and kind of let my mind ramble because what happens is it's the thoughts that I'm already having and I've been having, but don't, like I say, don't get necessarily to say out loud. I get to have them with myself. Well, they don't flesh out the same way when you're saying them in your mind because they're they're coming out a mile a minute they get to come a mile a minute here and i get to wrap it back up right i get to come back and say okay well now this is where that goes so this is where that goes there's a there's we talked about you know i was talking about the natural imagination and curiosity and this not problem solving but solution finding you know solution oriented mindset that children are born with like when you think about a kid learning how to walk I always one thing I don't like seeing is when you, you know, having a kid on training wheels, like you're teaching them to ride a bike and a kid on training wheels and the parent. And I saw I just saw this the other day and I was like, yo, like the kid knows how to ride the bike. 
probably don't even need the training wheels. The mom is holding the, the handle, like watching his every move. She can barely, she almost ran into me because she didn't see me because she's so focused holding on to his bike. Like let the little nigga ride the bike if you're going to let him ride the bike, especially if he, the point of having the training wheels is he's not going to fall off of this bike. If he does, now we got an issue. And then, then that's a different, that's a different scenario rather than sitting there coddling, handholding the shit the whole time. Because now you're instilling one, this kind of insecurity, this inferiority of thinking, I don't, I don't actually know what I'm doing. So I'm not actually learning anything. And then also this false sense of security to think that mommy's hand is always going to be there. And hmm, wish I could tap the kid on the shoulder and say, hey, it won't be. Or if it is, something's going wrong. I'm eating Sour Patch Kids, by the way. Last episode, I had a granola bar. I don't know if you can hear me eating. I try not to eat too much while I'm on here, but I got to have my snacks. I'm not a big snacker, but if I'm going to be sitting here for an hour, I want my snacks. You think about something like that, like you used to sit us in a classroom 45 minutes to an hour. And if I had to pee, I had to raise my hand and ask, and you could tell me no. What does that do to a four year old? And maybe, maybe not if like I imagine like when we were little, little, they would let us go. I don't know. But also like that's why we were brought extra diapers and stuff to school. Because just in case you like you did go on yourself, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, too much recall that. But I do recall being 18 and having to ask if I could go to the bathroom. A legal adult. I remember being I remember voting in a presidential election and then the very same day getting to school and having to ask if I could go to the bathroom. That where did, that doesn't make sense to me. And you ask like the, the where to do that at? Well, every fucking where. And that's why it's broken. <laughs> where they do that at? All over the place. All these schools. You get to the age where you can legally consent to sex. I can look at you and me and you can, me and another 18 year old can look at each other and be like, yeah, let's get it on. But I got to ask my teacher if I can go take a shit. That's, that's insane to me. So we're not just, you know, when I say introducing creativity and education or bringing it back, it's funny because it's not just the same reason when the same way, when I've talked about, you know, bringing educate, I mean, creativity back into everyday life. Like, I'm not talking about the simple act of making things. We're not talking about building sculptures or painting a, paint, a picture. You don't have to be making a song to bring creativity back in everyday life. Bringing creativity back in everyday life is taking life into your own hand, looking for the grand, the wonder, the grander things out there, looking into nature. Like, I remember I was taking, I had uh, Adderall. I was taking Adderall last throughout the some of the summer, but I stopped taking it. And I remember the very, like the day I stopped taking it, but I also remember going out and I was driving down the, I was on the square and I was passing uh, right by Pan Eater, I believe it's called. And I'm going down, down Elm Street, excuse me, down Locust, whichever one goes, uh, yeah, down Elm. And I look, just at, it was a beautiful day, man. It's like July it's not too hot, surprisingly. It may have been early or late. I don't know. No, it definitely wouldn't have been late. It would have been hotter. I, whatever, for whatever reason, it was a beautiful day. And I look up, and this is no Adderall. In fact, this is no Adderall. I had just smoked. This is no Adderall, and I'm what most, you know, some people say makes you lazy, makes you slower, whatever, slows you down. Hmm, sorry, y'all. See, that's what, I'd be hungry during the day or during the middle of it. That's why I got to have my snacks. But yeah, I, uh, I'm driving and I look and I remember looking at a bush. And when I say it was so green, this is also like, you know, I had started my day. This is one of the first few days I had gotten a full, like good morning routine in. I got great meditation in. I felt, I felt 
on the top of my game, no Adderall involved, right? And I was like, yo, like the greens were greener, the blues were bluer, the, the air was crisper. And I'm not, I'm not bullshitting when I say like, I finally, it was like the, the switch. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I started singing that in my head. Maybe not even my head, probably out loud the exact way I just did. Like it was like very much a, almost a revelation moment of, oh damn, okay, this is what it feels like when you are in tune with nature and you're looking at life from the, kind of the grand stage from stand you're actually standing up arms open ready to receive rather than guard it hoping that nothing gets at you so that's where i look at what creativity is especially in the sense of like rick rubin brought it up a way of being like a state of mind a way of living life and that's where i look at you know the idea of kids like when you i love talking to kids especially like kids under really of any age but like under 16 like 16 and under and then more specifically like before that preteen puberty stage before they get kind of indoctrinated into the world and want to be like what they see in the world when kids are like five, you know, when they say kids say the damnedest things or how hilarious kids are, kids are not trying to be funny. Hey, we humor gets very weird. There's an episode of Pardon My Take, which if if you know me, like that is my favorite, favorite podcast. That's what got me into podcasting in general and like the whole concept of any of this. There's an episode from baby 2020. They introduced Keegan, Keegan Michael Key, some Key and Peele, the tall bald one. And Keegan is a is a kind of a student of the game of comedy. If you you kind of can tell that from how everything what they that they do goes, and specifically everything that he's in. Think about um, Jordan Peele. He was more of the or has been more of the you know film buff, like the the direct uh, acting chops. Like I want to study this game of cinematography. For Keegan, I think the game of comedy was so interesting for him. That's where his passion and, and study and education lot so he goes on and i think maybe pft one of them asked the question of kind of what like what makes something funny and he brought up a very interesting description of it that i think ties into creativity and imagination he was saying that when you think of like children and the idea of comedy for them like what what is funny they only know what's funny based off the reaction of adults or people older than them right people who have already been indoctrinated into what is and what is not funny like if a kid farts for the first time, they're not doing it like, ha ha, fart. But if you laugh, like if it's out of nowhere and you just, and we laugh at, we seem to laugh at that because there's an awkwardness to it. Like that's really what comedy oftentimes lies when we laugh at most things is when there's an awkwardness and we don't know how to else you laugh to keep from crying. Right. That's so much time when we do laugh, uh, you know, or how jokes often we talk about comedians being the last real truth tellers. How often somebody like me, where I'll, I'll say something, people be like, bro, that's hilarious. And I'm like, nigga, I, I wasn't joking. I'm dead ass serious. Because for me, there is no, you know, almost, I don't have much intentional comedy. Like, I know when I'm being purposely funny. And I often, I, I, oddly enough, that's when people seem to not necessarily laugh the least, but they laugh a little bit less than when it's like, yeah, you didn't necessarily try to make that joke, but goddamn, that was a good one. Because I meant it, right? So that's what happens with kids, and that's what happens in the grander scheme of their world. Kids go into the world. Like, a kid can spend 10 hours of a day trying to figure out how to climb a tree. And then when they finally get to the top of that tree, they're now going to stay in the tree and just scan. Maybe mess with squirrels. Like, the way kids will just pick up. <laughs> if you play football at Denron, 
and you remember freshman year, so about 2014, 2015, when Cade used to walk around picking up frogs. Cade would pick up any animal he saw, any, especially if it was a reptile. And I used to not understand it, but I now realize that that was just like a fascination for him. And it wasn't necessarily with the end. It was a curiosity about the world. Right. So you look at that and you realize like kids have this natural ability to. Excuse me. I had to sip my water too. shout out. Shout out Smart Water, man. Zendaya. Zendaya is sponsored by Smart Water now. Smart Water. Get at me. Let's get a sponsorship going. We already got the colors needed. Uh, I drink a lot of smart water. And if that means you can connect me with Zendaya, like that's all the better. I'm not saying in no weird way. I just, Zendaya's awesome. I love Zendaya. I love Zendaya. Y'all remember this, this song? That's one of my favorite songs. I think it's, is it Kaz or it's one of this, somebody from, I can't even think right now. I think it's Kaz, one of the Dreamville artists and J. Cole. Man, that's a good song. My nigga Kaz wants Zendaya. Yeah, Kaz and, and J. and Cole. So yeah, going back, man, I look at, if we were to bring something, and I, I say creativity, I'm looking at, in education, I'm looking at the aspect of just broadening the way we go about it. Like, we had, I remember fifth grade, we had to learn the preamble to the Constitution. The Constitution was written 150 years ago. Like, yeah, and if you've heard me talk, you know how I feel about the Constitution, about the Bill of Rights, about all these different laws and aspects of our government specifically, but our society that are rooted in systems from 150, 200, 300 years ago. And then we sit there and we're like, yeah, like I, I don't, I, it was one of the, some lawmaker recently, a politician recently said some goofy ass shit. Like it was the laziest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And it was lazy because this is your job. Him saying, I, I think it might've been Biden. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it was Biden, but this politician was saying, that the Constitution is still the most comprehensive set of instructions that we have to go by today. And I was like, yo, like what? W what? I get what you're I get what you're trying to say. And that would work if it were written 50 years ago or if it wasn't so hard to make amendments to the Constitution. Like that is a very hard process that does. And it's made hard on purpose because they don't want a bunch of shit to change. But I'm at the point, I'm like, probably the Articles of, De of what, the Articles of Federation, Declaration, whatever it was called, the what that our original, original constitution, that was probably more comprehensive because it was structured, but loose. It allowed for flexibility. Like the constitution allows for no flexibility, even more, like at one point, it literally classified me as two thirds of a person. I wasn't even a human being. We're still having, we just had in the midterm elections, niggas voting on slavery and then trying to fudge the fucking wording of it because the constitution allows you to do so. Comprehensive my ass. Like that's not a compre comprehensive document that actually outlines how we should be running things. It outlines the system that was set in place that allows democracy in its current state that is still the state that it once was rooted in evil and bullshit and nonsense to continue existing. Right. The invisible hand and the powers that be the cabal, they're the only ones that still want the, the Constitution in place because their power comes from when the Constitution was written 150 fucking years ago. Similar thing to the education system. If you can keep churning out the same obedient, ready to, you know, ready made workers that fit your system, why would you change it? Well, you wouldn't. 
But when we're getting to the point of you have a bunch of individuals saying, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right here. Oh, Jesus, this is fire. Hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Right? Like, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. And that I tweeted today. Like, I'm, if I haven't said it before or enough, at my core, I'm a disruptor. I was placed on this earth to fuck shit up, but also to build beautiful things back in its place in the wake of my destruction. So I'm not here just to, you know, come and knock down your Lego house and then just walk away and be like, all right, have fun with that. No, I knocked down your Lego house so we could revamp it, make it stronger, put the Bionicles there, whatever they call them, the new Lego pieces, or like, uh, you think of Jenga, like, if somebody wins the way you win Jenga or lose Jenga, the, the tower has to fall. But if you want to keep playing the game, you build it back up, right? Like you build the Jenga tower back up and then you keep playing the game. I, I, I think I'm just coming from the, the viewpoint of, look, man, if we build the Jenga tower back up and then just kind of admire it, like fuck playing the game, like let's just admire it. Or every time we knock it down, let's just rebuild. We have the blocks. We can go get more Jenga pieces and build it as high as we want to. We can go get giant Jenga blocks. We can play drunk Jenga. We can make so many different variations of this game. And every time, all we have to do is build it back up. As long as you have the instructions or the people who already know how to play the game that already know how to build it up, you're good, right? So I look at that and that's, you know, again, talking about this whole concept of reintroducing. And I say reintroduction of it. Because there was a point in time where education was like the Renaissance. If you've noticed for a while, I was talking about the Renaissance project, funny enough, and I don't know how many people, maybe this may be one of those things where, like, you know, you get to that point of like, niggas gonna be like, nah, you're lying. Yeah, I don't have nothing to lie about. Before Beyonce dropped Renaissance, like maybe two or three weeks, and I got it right here in my notebook, maybe two or three weeks before. The word renaissance had come to me. It had been appearing in a bunch of different spaces. And I was like, yo, like that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's a perfect way to describe it. And then upon doing more research, it was literally exactly what I was talking about. It even matched up time frame, way of introduction. So if you look at when hip hop was born, right? When hip hop was born, it came off the heels of that house sound. You know, the, well, rock, it came off the... Heels of, and that's why I thought it was very interesting to see Tory drop his uh, house album the way he did, and, or I guess 80s disco, punk, whatever, and The Weeknd drop his album, Beyonce and Drake do what they did. Very interesting to see that all line up. Obviously a very intentional process that was supposed to usher in a new era of not only music, but of rap. And it's interesting even more to see how abundant and aggressive. Oh, that's where I wanted to start today. When I said a very serious note, it wasn't about J. Cole. It was about G. Herbo. Survivor's remorse, A side and B side. Like, let's get that man his fucking credit, dog. Like, let's give G. Herbo his credit. And this is coming from somebody who just a year ago was not a G. Herbo fan. Okay, sure. Take my Chicago card now. So in the, in the past week, we've taken my black card and my Chicago card now. Just, just, just take it all from me. Break me down. I'm only a man. Okay. But give G Herbo his damn credit. That man is elevating before our very eyes. He's reaching a, you know, like every, every project has been a very clear and consistent, like breakthrough of talent. It's like, oh, damn, this nigga's getting better. Oh, damn, this nigga's getting better. Oh, okay. He's getting really good. The way he introduced this album, FWM, fuck with me, 
That song is crazy. The way that you talk about production, like I, I, I challenge you to after when you listen to this, like when you listen to this podcast, after this, go in your car and just turn on that song. Turn on the whole album, but turn on that song. Full volume. And I I challenge you to not immediately like replay like restart the whole the second that that beat that's crazy that that was disgusting so what was i talking about man damn see i, I didn't lose it but i low-key lost it talking about the the evolution of hip-hop in you know tying it back to the renaissance okay so yeah i think what would definitely happen you know we're talking about this kind of resurgence of specifically like i said hip-hop as a culture is dying but I even I wrote a, a blog post. Most I call them blog posts. There I write them down in my notebook, and they're journal entries that at some point they will be, you know, released to the public. But I, my pen is definitely my strongest suit, or is it, you know the one that I worked on the longest and for, with the most effort. So it's something that I do I do still keep close to the book or close to the chest. But I wrote that hip hop is not dead, but it's damn strong life support. Like rap is doing just fine. Because we do still have the J. Coles, we have the ev ev evolution and elevation of a G. Herbo, we have Nas coming back with Hit Boy, like nobody's business. Like Nas and Hit Boy together. Imagine Nas having Hit Boy in 92. <laughs> Dog, that's crazy. Right? You have like Hove coming with, with God Did Versus and Sorry Not Sorry. You have uh, Ross still being Ross. Like hip hop rap is in very good hands. Okay. Rap is doing just fine. Hip hop culture, which again has been the culture of the world or at least of our country, of our society for so long. And it's dictated trends, has dictated how we move and the things we believe in. It's being corrupted. It already was corrupted and now it's being recognized. Like the awareness, we are in that age of awareness to such an extent where the very, you know, essence of our beings the things that make us us are being looked at like wait a minute we weren't like we were not the decision makers behind what we were deciding to consume you know to produce to the cons like we were the people that should be driving the culture were not the ones driving the culture it was all capitalism which and if i go and listen to the podcast i posted on my story today how often do you get a nigga promoting somebody else's podcast on his podcast that doesn't happen collaboration that's what i believe in we work together to make this shit better seth golden on on today's it's not about the chocolate he was saying you know the, what is the cult what is culture and what is what is the culture and he asked this question like is you know we talk about the culture of capitalism and it being corrupted. And then he posed the question of what if capitalism is the culture rather than a culture of capitalism? And the idea is supposed to be that we produce and trade and buy and sell and whatever else it may be, but not for the sake of consumption, rather for the sake of production, a.k.a. creativity. Isn't that what I've been talking about? Like this idea of getting to a space where we are no longer producing specifically art because uh, like so many artists do not go into the field, like do not, you know, whatever it may be, do not chase their dreams because the monetary value of it or, you know, the space to live off of such a thing is so thin. Like it's not easy to make to to make music one music that you love, you know, for you that you're proud of. Because and for so long, you had artists that were trying to play for the radio. I love one of J. Cole's lines in Let Nas Down. 
He says, uh, labels are archaic, formulate with the outcomes. They don't know. They just studied the charts. Me, I studied the shows. The fans studied their heart. I had a feeling we was killing in this music. We was uh, filling out, spilling out. We changed lives forever. Fuck the label. Put it out. All right. And he's right. Like the, and, he, and he goes directly on after that to talk about Friday Night Lights. And yeah, Friday Night Lights as a, as a mixtape, as a project, changed my life. That was a life-changing tape for me. Something like 444, which very literally did not receive the commercial recognition or the commercial success immediately. They Niggas were saying that that was Hov's worst album. And they were like, oh, Hov fell off. And we're at this point now where, where people are saying, okay, that may be the best one. Because he didn't make it for a commercial. A song like Marcy Me, like that is a, a radio song. Him and the Dream killed that. The video for Marcy Me is one of my favorite. That is a beautiful depiction of exactly what that song means and exactly the way that so many of us from that space feel. Like if you don't know, if you don't know the story of a young black kid from Chicago or New York or you know South Central LA, listen to Marcy Me and watch that video. And I'm not saying you're gonna get an idea of my life or his life or any of our lives. But you get a, a very clear picture of part of the experience, a large part of the experience. You know, G Herbo says an outside looking in. And that that really was the, the song that made me love that album. He says in that song, he's talking about uh, he says family reunions. All he's seen was drinking gin and smoking weed. And he says talking about his uncles and, and cousins in a strange way. They breeded him. They or didn't know they was misleading them in a strange way. They breeded him for a cold world, you know, made him for leadership. And like facts, like I, I remember back in the day, family reunions, all they seen was drinking, drinking gin and smoking weed. Niggas playing spades and dominoes wouldn't teach me for nothing. What was that about? I had teacher had to teach me how to play dominoes. I just learned spades last Christmas. Again, sorry, take my card. Um, but yeah, and I realized like, but all that, all the very same things that, that Chicago placed in me are the things that made me the revolutionary, that made me the disruptor, that made me the culture creator or curator that I, I am becoming and am today, because that is the root of where we're from. You know, that is the root of our history of everything about us. You, know, you think about the city of Chicago, while Arizona may be have Phoenix and, you know, they're the Cardinals. Chicago is, is the actual city of, of ashes and the city of fire. Chicago burned down. Like, I don't know if people know the history of Chicago, but Chicago burned and had to be rebuilt rose from the ashes. Right. So all we know is that adaptability, that regrowth, that regeneration idea of, like I said, destroy and rebuild and not even rebuild, destroy and build. Right. Like so many there's there's a, in Call of Duty. One of my favorite games was Seek and Destroy. I think most of a lot of our favorite game was Seek and Destroy. Uh, but the interesting thing about Seek and Destroy is I think it's a mentality that a lot of people have taken into every day and in, into actual life. Right. Like the job, the duty, the, the process is seek what we think is wrong and, and take it down. OK, what do you do to put something better in its place? Like that's how you get weeds out. Like you don't get weeds out of out of soil. Well, one because you're gonna damage the soil. You just sit there snipping the weeds or putting like that's why uh, they talk about like all a bunch of those different chemicals. They only they're not only don't work, but you're now harming the soil. You're putting chemicals, bad chemicals, into the soil. When instead you should be putting 
native grass, native plants in there, things that are meant to survive and meant to thrive in that space, you knock the weeds out. Or at the very least, you're putting something more beautiful in there from the concrete who knew the flower would grow. If I told you that a, that a rose could bloom in a concrete, would you, what did, what did Kendrick say in Poetic Justice? If I told you that a flower could bloom in the concrete, would you trust it? I don't think that's what he said. In a dark room, in a dark room, would you trust it? I mean, I write poems in these, and a song like that. Like you look again. There's this very you know clear concept, and I love where where we've gotten to here. I love where we've gone with this. There's this concept of when I talk about you know bringing creativity back. I don't necessarily mean it for me as much as I do for the because what happened for me is I still got the benefits of it. One being raised around the people and in the family I was, but also seeking out still those outlets. Right. My gripe is more damn the space, you know, we're because of who I am and because of where I got to anyway, acceleration and scale power and speed. Right. So those things would have it, it would have happened faster and at a greater level, you know, a, a different set of leverage would, would have been applied for me had I gone to think of like the show I, I always love victorious and like um zoe 101 because you know pca pacific coast academy like and and the, the school that uh they went to in victorious like the entire idea was creative like literally the school that victorious they went to was all about creativity like why and I, I can't even say why we don't have more of those because I'm not aware of them and that is probably where the issue lies like as as a kid it should have been instead of and this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow for flashback Friday that episode you know tomorrow's episode will be called he's a good kid but we love him but because that's what it would be the things that I got in trouble for were like I said before the lack of respect for authority which it wasn't it was the lack of respect for your bullshit. It was the, again, why am I raising my hand to go at, to ask to go pee? Hey, if I'm about to piss myself and you tell me no, or we're taking a test and I got to go pee and you tell me I can't go, I'm done with the test. I've been done for 30 minutes and everybody else is still in question five. I remember I used to finish tests quickly and teachers would say, are you sure you're done? There's no way you're finished. Okay. Okay. I don't believe it. Nope. And I'm going to grade it right now just to see. So, okay, you're being petty like a motherfucker. No, you can't go to the bathroom until I'm done. And then they would deliberately take a long ass time to grade my test only for it to come out 100. Like, I wish 10 year old me could have said, yeah, bitch, fuck you. Probably should have. But then I would have gotten even more trouble, right? Like, then you definitely was calling my mom. But that's what would I, and I, like, you look at how often, you know, parents would come to school and be like, so your teacher just lying on you? Yes. I didn't like it. It just took me the past six months to realize, like, yes, my teachers were indeed lying on me and maybe not even intentionally, but they were lying. They were not telling the truth. Rather, they did not have all the information. And based off of their limited knowledge, limited facts, they would take that and paint a picture that was missing so many gaps. But because the picture was coming from the 50 year old. And the 10 year old was saying, no, you're missing, you know, you're missing stuff. You don't have the full picture. It didn't matter what I had to say. So that's what I mean when I talk about reintroducing creativity or introducing creativity in education. It's it's not just the kids like me. It's all kids. It's all of us that I think we're, we're done a disservice in being placed into these systems that one don't and didn't work for anybody. 
But the reevaluation process of such a thing was was so botched and has been so botched or even maybe not botched, but intentionally not you know, done with effort in such a way that, and that's, you know, leading to the college conundrum. I look at how many people don't do well in college or, or directly, you know, shun college. They, like we talk about college being a scam because not only did the lower education systems not prepare us for real life, you then throw us to the wolves at the age of 18 like when you, you're telling a, a 17, 18 year old that you should know where you want to go rack up debt and spend the next four years of your life. And it's like, good luck, Charlie. And that's it. That, that, it's just that. And that's a ridiculous concept, like that you should know what you want to do for the rest of your life at the age of 17, 18 or have some glimpse of it. You haven't seen shit. You don't know shit. Like how are we supposed to? But then maybe you have somebody who does know exactly where they want to go and they're being told that college that they have to go to college in order to, to get that route or that they won't be successful in any like greater form if they don't go to go to college a piece of paper because let's be honest and I, I i said this the other day i was tweeting like yo man if if every school is run the way unt is or if every kid feels the way about their school that i feel about unt then yeah, like we're in a fuck situation here because it's not even that UNT. I would UNT is a good school. There's nothing wrong with the school or necessarily the education portion. It is the the again the system of it. Like the system is so flawed and it's so flawed from the top down that you almost wonder like is it purposely being ignored? Like are you purposely not making the changes that are that should be made and that are necessary to bring us a good education system you you don't put enough in front like financial literacy is something that should be mandatory from the beginning that that just is that like forget forget movie days i'm very serious like forget movie days forget watching polar express make these kids play monopoly make these kids play cash flow there's no reason like earn your leisure then and i'm i think that they're they have kids stuff now like that should be a part of curriculum we should be I remember I, Expo, Expo was probably the best thing that could have happened to me having moved to Denton. Like if I didn't get, and I almost didn't make Expo off of nonsense, off of, of, again, the same, very much the same system. They tested me on math and reading and I didn't do too well, I believe on the, on the math. Well, they did the, I smacked the creativity, the, the critical thinking, all that shit out the out the park. The reading out the park. My math was just below average, and because just below average for Expo is above average for every damn body else, they made me retest. Take the whole shit again. Okay, well I got in. So I not only did I miss completely sixth grade, which I had come from my gifted and talented program from my other school. So I don't understand how I was not immediately put into that situation why i waited a year and then even more i had to wait a full semester after in seventh grade because of that so i got a year and a half out of three in that program not and, and, the, and the thing about it is it wasn't like everybody was so far ahead advanced or ahead of me by you know having that extra time but you're talking about being reintroduced into a completely different process that everybody else has already been in for five six years now and guess what? I still killed the shit. I was still very good at it. Like that's not the, you know, that's not the issue of it. And that that is just to go and, you know, to say 
I, I, I look at me younger and the reason I'm able to, to look at it from the you know bigger picture and step back from my vantage point and say, nah, something's got to change. Because like I said from episode one, I do not have a particularly unique experience. I just have my experience that I'm able to then relate and parlay and say, okay, well, damn, because I don't have a unique experience and this is how it affects me today at 22 and this is where I see it going forward. If we can change the very things that maybe held me back or did not were not conducive to my experience or growing up, we can probably fix a lot of the, the issues, the roadblocks that did come along. Those same obstacles that I ran into, I'm able to identify exactly who put them there, why they were there and how we got around them or through them or over them. Or now we can get to a point of look because I'm at least able to identify what the roadblocks were. We can now start working on those same solutions and not that they're going to be one size fits all, but it's the same way that when you talk about the knowledge not being a zero sum game, if you and Naval put in a, like making sense of that, you think about learning, like knowing how to build houses, having a house and the knowledge of like you know building houses is not a zero sum game because the more we learn about building houses or the more we learn about making cars, the more and the better able we are to do it, the more efficient we are, you know, doing it. You look at the very first car, I'm pretty sure it was like the little, uh, little tight, little, uh, tight cars we had where you had to push the shit with your feet or pedal it. I don't know how it actually looked. I'm joking. But like you look now, like there was a point where the horse and carriage and now cars drive themselves. And that's all innovation and technology. I just, afterwards, so, you know, talking about, and I didn't give you all the word of the day. The word of the day, here we go. Perfect segue, evolution. So I, I put this in my notes. I'll read this directly because it's shorter. So I said the natural and necessary evolution of society and culture has to be toward an expansion and cultivation of creativity. In early age through adulthood, we must promote seeking and seeing the wonder in life. And what it made me think of, and I had been using this for a while. Remember the SpongeBob episode where SpongeBob and Patrick are playing with the box? And it's the Squidward meme of Squidward looking out the window, like confuzzled. He's absolutely shot. Like, what is going on? He goes down to ask. And SpongeBob has, does his hands with the big rainbow. Imagination. Verbal meme. Imagination. Right? It's that. Like, as I, I said it before, like, you know, manifestation, imagination, action, those that that combination, that three, you know, that that threesome of words, the menage a trois that makes, oh, my goodness, a beautiful little you got a spicy bedroom if you got them three going on. Right. Because imagination is the is the start. Right. If you can if you can imagine it and then articulate it through action, you can manifest it. So, I, and that's what I mean, you know, this very idea of evolution says the only way we grow and continue to push as a society, as a culture of individuals is by accepting what, what has not worked, like fully recognizing it for what it was. And I, I talk about like our systems are, it's the systems in theory, a lot of them are okay and good. And we were able to, that's why innovation is so core to it because we're able to look at it and say, okay. The, the, you had the right idea. You had the right idea. Good. Because it ain't about who did it first. It's about who did it right. You had the right idea. So let's take what you had and what we now know. Let's work on it. Let's combine it. And let's push. Let's push forward. And it feels like it's that simple because it is. It really is that simple. And, and, and I'll say this. For the boomers, 
I think what what happens, especially in the generation, I don't think it's a generation gap. I think it's a generation difference because it's a completely different world. Uh, Gen Z, we have to get better at listening and accepting because they do have a lot of knowledge and experience to offer. On the flip side, the boomers and the millennials, I mean, not the millennials, but Gen X, I believe that's right below in between millennials and boomers need to get better at one bridging the gap of understanding and communication, because I don't think that it's us that that is fucking up the communication. I think it's us that refuse the communication after it already like it's it's you already, you know, shunned, turned off the, the spout. And then it's like, well, shit, I'm thirsty. Too bad. You can't drink. Well, now, OK, okay now I'm saying fuck you. Now, now it actually, and so, but when you turn around and say that, it's, for for them, it was a test. Oh, I just wanted to test you. You cannot test me with something that's life and death. Like, stop trying to test us with stuff that actually matters. Stop dangling fruit in front of our faces and then too slow. The, the or is it progressive commercial, the old insurance commercial with the dollar bill, gotta be quicker than that. That feels like a lot of what's going on. Right, it's like, oh, haha, just kidding. Oh no, I was gonna give you the dollar. I was actually gonna give you more than a dollar. I just wanted to see if you would have patience. Why are you testing my patience for something that actually matters? Because I, I, I was gonna be. If you had told me it was a test, I would be like, I, I bet. Fuck it. Okay, I'll go along with your little test, whatever. But you trying to test me as some little, you know, form of of prove yourself. I don't have to prove shit to you because I don't have to prove anything to you. But when you try to make somebody prove something to you and you're not worth being proven to, now what they're going to prove to you is that they don't have to prove anything to you, right? Like that's now, the battle is now against you rather than with you. So I think on both sides, we have to get more attuned and more accepting of collaboration, like, if we're going to have a competition, let's have the competition be iron sharpening iron rather than who can stab each other in the back the quickest and the hardest. Notice how this all always ties back to the same. Like, none of this, like I said, none of it is ever out of alignment with the topics, with the concepts, with the overall mission. The mission is the vision. The mission is the vision. And that's why I was talking to my mom last night. I'm like, yo, at the core of it, aren't we all looking for the same thing? And I, I had said, I was like, you know, success, happiness, and empowerment. And she says, well, no, because they have, it might be different definitions. And, and then she brought up and she's like, well, and also you look at the group of people you're talking about, maybe no longer are looking for those same things because they're kind of past it. And I was like, unfortunately, that's not what I meant. Yeah, it, it, it's past their time. It is past their time. So now she, the goal is to make sure that all the mistakes that did come before, that we do not make them again. But why would we go through the same process? Insanity. Like you didn't get there and then your kids' kids didn't, I mean, your kids didn't get there and then their kids didn't get there off the same process that you tried to put them through. And then we look and say, okay, well, hey, y'all, y'all go ahead and try to, y'all run this back. Run this back one more time. Let's try it one more time. We don't have enough time to run it back one more time. We literally do not. The world is ending. We don't have the time to run it back again. Right. So I think if we can get that through a lot of people's heads on both sides, we don't have the time to fuck around and and try and experiment. And, okay, maybe this will work. Maybe this. W no. 
and not that we have to get it right the first time, but damn, like let's actually give it a, a fighting effort because the again, the more if we the closer we are to being right the first time, the closer we can, the faster we can get be, to being right the next time, or eventually very soon after that. That actually ties into the end of my notes. We need succession, right? Like we need we need succession plans, not just as a black community, not just within the culture, but as a as a larger society. We need a larger succession plan. I think that's what keeps happening is everybody, the, the individual is becoming so strong. Everybody wants to, and I say the individual, I more so mean, you know, whether it be your individual family, your individual race, you know, your religion, whatever. Everybody is so much fighting, like I said, for their own space that we don't realize that you have your own space by just having your own space and even more the way that we continue because it is not a zero-sum game like wealth is not a zero-sum game the status game is and status games what do you have to do in playing status games you got to put another group of people down in order to up yourself so that is a zero-sum game someone loses and then everybody loses but wealth creation, wealth in general, whether it be of knowledge, of finances, of happiness, like living in abundance is not a zero sum game because the more that is created, the more that is created. It's similar with the each one teach one, like all of these different concepts, these cliches, these metaphors, these, you know, um, euphemisms that just keep coming up. Like I said, they exist for a reason because they tend to be true. I think the more that we get into not only accepting, but actually living by them as mantras, as affirmations, as states of mind, of way of a way of living, that creative spirit. We are able to one day get to the point where maybe not a UBI specifically, but some form of most people will not have to work. And the only people that will be working are people that we, that are doing so for the love of it, for the creation, for the art, for the passion, which will be a lot more people than we actually think, because the more you cultivate such a thing, the more it becomes a norm. It becomes a relevance. It becomes like education should be art, music and science. Philosophy, psychology, understanding the how, like humans work, we should be teaching leadership and, and, and I thought it was interesting, again, Seth Godin saying leadership is not necessarily the idea of managing people, but it's working with people. It's how to be around others in a constructive manner and how to, if need be, delegate or, you know, criticize or, or you know, instruct others in a, in a manner that is positive and action empowering and leads to change and not divisiveness so i say man cultivate creativity cultivate creativity and one more time cultivate creativity man like if you if if there's if there's any words you're gonna hear me die saying it's those two right there cultivate creativity right like love creativity empowerment like that is success and happiness for me, man. Like we can get to that point of not even, not even a norm, but a, again, a way of living like norms. I hate norms because norms make it seem like everybody has, like there's an average, there's a standard. There is no standard amongst that kind of, you know, like at the abstract, there is, there literally is no standard amongst the abstract. 
But that's the beauty of it. There is no normalcy or a way you have to be as long as you are being in a way, right? It makes sense. I love the nuances. Uh, it's a couple niggas there generation that wasn't supposed to make it out or decode the matrix. And when they get to speak, it's like a coded language. Remind niggas of all their strength and all their stolen greatness. Hey, man, it has been a wonderful hour and three minutes. I am about to finish some of my Sour Patch Kids, knock back this bottle of water and get another one. Hoop, shower up, get some lunch. Maybe not necessarily in that order. I'm going to shower after, you know, whatever. However that goes, I will shower after I hoop. I will make sure that my body is clean before I go back out into the world. And man, it's Thursday. You know, my Thursdays and Fridays are funny days. They always kind of line up the same way. I do have myself on a on a routine in a way that is not in. I don't have to be, you know, purposeful or intentional about anymore because it is, you know, it's my routine. It's how my mind and body flow. Uh, but Thursdays always end up interesting in a way that they are some of my most productive days. But they don't feel like it until the day ends and I look back and be like, damn, nigga, you got a lot done. So I'm, I may finish uh, Spook who sat by the door today and then I'll start on the little devil in America. So, man, look, I love y'all. Cultivate creativity. It has been a pleasure. Peace. Trying to get a lot of dough. Anything is possible. Turn me up in the headphone. Yeah. Grind it, get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of goals. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. Yeah. yeah. Grind it, get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of goals. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. All I do is shit major, bought a condo on the top floor in the building, it's a skyscraper, feeling like I'm Kobe, LeBron for the Lakers, feeling like I'm Idris, Paul Walker.